Here we are, episode three of Talking to Myself. Welcome back to Talking to Myself, Malcolm and Malcolm. Yes, yes. It's episode three. Uh, it's been a little bit crazy. Uh, I, I know you guys probably won't be able to tell because we're going to be releasing these like as frequently as we can, like every couple weeks or so. Um, but it's actually been a while since we recorded our last one, so a bunch of stuff has been going on. Um, as you guys might remember, we're in uh, the program Urban Teachers, and I know this past week was pretty brutal yeah. for me. I don't know if you, I don't know about you, Malcolm, but Some it was just, every night, yes. except for like one night. Yes, it was very, very intense. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely crazy. Um, and then I had parent-teacher conferences this week, and getting ready for those, getting grades, input. Um, it was absolute insanity. Uh, so it's just been it's been a lot it's been a lot so um you know we're trying to get these out as much as possible um trying to balance this super crazy schedule and we hope that going into this you will be able to sort of see like some of the conversations that we're having on our end about um you know the difficulties that we're facing but also just like our role um, as student teachers and going into being um, our, our full-time teacher next year. Um, yes, starting in the summer, honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah really, starting in the summer, that's June. Yeah, we're winding down. We have about like three more months, and then we're we're off the the handicap wheels come off, yeah, and we're, right. <laughs> we're just full speed. Going right into it, yeah. So one of the things that I had a conversation with this week, because I've just been really struggling trying to figure out you know, how can I best grow my practice, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we have all these conversations and all these ideas about what our best practice would be and what our pedagogy would look like and, you know, what we believe our role as a teacher should be. But how do we actually go about practicing that and trying to manifest that uh, regularly, Um, especially since we're not the ones actually leading the classroom? And I was talking to, uh, I was telling Malcolm earlier, I was talking to my mom, and she actually has, you know, she's an art teacher back in Austin, Texas. Shout out to her. She is a fantastic um, uh, educator. And I just feel like I've learned so much from her. Uh, just why I've had the opportunity to sit in on a few of her classes. That's and, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and just sort of talk with her about some of the stuff that she does. And she is an absolutely amazing, amazing educator. Also, she didn't actually get her teaching degree or start teaching until I was um, a senior in high school, oh, right? So she is, she's a, a late bloomer in terms of uh, finishing her college degree. Shout out to her, fantastic. Um, but she now has a student teacher in her room. And she has having a conversation with her the other day about um, basically what is her role in the classroom and why does my mom make her do certain things or not do other things? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what's supposed to help her in the long run? Because that's the whole entire purpose of us being in the classroom is yeah. for us to be able to make sure that when we go in next year, we're the best teachers we possibly can be, um, not only for ourselves, but for our students. And one of the things, one of the conversations that she had was about teacher duty, yeah. right? Having to go out and, you know, watch the playscape or watch the lunchroom um, you know, having to do uh, exit duty, like watching when pe- uh, parents are picking up their kids, things like that, right? And my mom does not make her student teacher do any of that, uh, which is so not the experience that Malcolm and I have <laughs> right. at our schools. Um, 
and you know this could have a lot to do with location you know yeah. maybe, maybe dc has uh, a shortage of teachers or maybe they're in higher demand um just in terms of numbers right my mom's school might not have those same difficulties mm -hmm. however the reason my mom was saying no you shouldn't need to be doing any of these stuff is because she was actually in our position not too long ago right she, yeah. you know when i was what it was about like six seven years ago um, and she was a, a student teacher or a teacher aide, and she remembers having to do all these things, and when she got finally got into the classroom, the thing she said was, having to do these things never actually improved my practice, mm -hmm. right? Like me having to be out the play skate and watch the kids playing around, um, you know, and get them all back in the line and bring them back inside, like that didn't make or break me as a teacher. Yeah. That didn't, you know, when I finally got my own classroom, that wasn't where I struggled. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't where the struggle came from, and that didn't actually prepare me for anything in the classroom, right? So, um, all this to be said, because you know, then it raises the question: Is what things should we be doing mm -hmm. uh, in the classroom? What things can we be doing in order to make sure that come next year we're in the best possible place to be successful, and to make sure that our schools are utilizing our time in the most productive and best way that they yeah. can, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I'll say is I 100% agree. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that this time that I'm taking to go do recess duty is necessarily what's going to be helping me become a teacher. And I know that me prepping for my LLI group, me being able to prep for my math intervention group, me being able to prep for tomorrow's lesson, me being able to do my assignment for urban teachers, these things would be able to help me grow my practice and become a better educator. Um, but I'm not, I sometimes have to cut those things in the day and end up sort of rushing my lessons or rushing, mm -hmm. you know, my practice because I'm having to end up, you know, having that time taken away. And I just wonder, are, are you feeling similarly, Malcolm, or is this just something that I'm, I'm feeling? Yeah, I mean, I definitely can relate. Like, some days it does feel like, you know, we're just there to do kind of like, yeah, like the extracurricular stuff of, like, taking students to the bathroom or, yeah, taking them to lunch, staying with them for dismissal and everything like that. Um which I wouldn't totally knock the experience because mm -hmm. I, I do think that there is an aspect of being a teacher where, yeah, when you're by yourself, you might have to do all these things at once. That's true, that's true. So I think the experience is necessary. I think that yeah. it's when we're not getting a balance mm -hmm. of everything. So I think that's like kind of the, the position that I've been in, like the, the frustration that I've been feeling is like there's not enough balance. Like. It's more of me doing like the extracurricular duties than doing like the teaching duties or yeah, like yeah. learning how to actually like, like you said, do stuff that's going to contribute to my practice. Um, and I really, I really think with the more I've thought about it, and I don't know what program um, your mother's student teachers in. I don't know if she's just in going to school. Uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's getting her uh, education degree. Okay, just educational degree. Um, but it might be a th in the things too, but I think I've been thinking about with like alternative teaching programs is that the communication between from the program you're in to the school that they place you in mm -hmm. that communication like you know 
these people are coming in to learn how to teach, not coming to just be like your assistant. Right? Yeah, that's that's a pretty pivotal communication. Point, yeah, and I think sure. that's the point that's been missing, like especially when I talk to people like you and other people in the program, um, and even you hear about experiences from people in other programs and past experiences, where it's like, yeah, you come in and you think like, okay, I'm about to be this co-teacher, we're gonna be working together, and the teachers kind of just treat you like, oh, this is just somebody that's here to help me out do these things, take the kids to the bathroom when I don't want to deal with them and stuff like that. And I will say this is not a knock on urban teachers, right? Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think it's pretty important to recognize that urban teachers has, what, like, 100-something yeah. uh, student teachers that they're trying to organize for, right, and, and communicate with all the different schools and sites that we're at. Like, it's it's not fully on every teacher's part, just as, like, it's not fully on the administrative side for our schools, right? I'm sure that they have a bunch of things that they're dealing with and can't always communicate to every single teacher what the exact expectation, you know, mm-hmm. it just is a whole messy deal to, to, to begin with, yeah, right? Definitely. But, you know, all that being said, that, that we have to hold everyone accountable, yeah, yeah. right? And, and that also falls on us to be able to advocate for ourselves mm-hmm. and make sure that we're getting the stuff that we need, right? So us saying this is to sort of illustrate the difficulties that come with um, just sort of the the task at hand, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think you really have to have a heart for mentorship too, um, to even accept somebody in your class. Well, that's something you need to think about before you potentially mm-hmm. accept someone in your classroom. It's like, okay, yeah, like, do I want to be able to like put in the energy and the effort and the time to like mentoring somebody? Um, I think that's something that kind of like goes without being discussed too. I think a lot of these conversations are like, yeah, I do. Would you be comfortable having someone in your room? And I think, I do think initially some teachers, you know, think like, oh yeah, I would love to have some extra help. Yeah, that, but that's like the extent. That's the end. Yeah, you want to like, have someone in your room? Yeah, like, yes. Oh, fantastic. Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not like, well, are you really going to take the time and energy to like make sure that they become efficient, mm-hmm. you know, excellent educators, you know, and a lot of that is just missing. Um, shout out to both of, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have two amazing host teachers. Uh, shout out to both of them. They're absolutely fantastic. Uh, I appreciate all the work they put into helping me grow my practice, but I also know that my experience is not the experience of everyone in urban teachers, right? Like, yeah. I know that there are a lot of people who are missing yeah. that sort of mentor connection, mm-hmm. right? And that has manifested itself in, in, in a multitude of ways, right? But this sort of... Um, you know, lack of understanding about what our role is in the classroom can lead to to some sort of damaging effects when you think long term mm-hmm. when we have our own classroom next year. Yeah. Like, we need to be able to lead the classroom effectively. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to be perpetuating the same issues same that we're trying issues. to fix. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes too, I do think like with student teaching, um, I think like a more fluent model sometimes would be nice like so one thing i've been discussing with um my coach um is like now as we are getting to like the end point and um you know we only have like a few more months left of like making time to like start viewing other classrooms and observing different teachers Mm -hmm. and different models of um of discipline and everything like that i haven't even thought about that yeah because it's like as someone who wants to, you know, form their own type of pedagogy and find their own teacher voice, I think it's, it'd be helpful to sit around and be able to learn from 
other people of like, okay, what's been working? What has been working? How does this person get this done? What systems do they implement that I haven't seen? Um, because I think some of that will prepare you as well of like, you, we've been with these, um, with our host teachers for the whole year now, um, but we've kind of been only seeing like one way of doing things and that's kind of what you've been learning. So naturally, like even when you start in the summer and in the fall, like you're gonna naturally probably mimic some of that stuff, but it's like, I wanna be able to see some other things and get some other inside sources in, especially if you're not in a position where like, you're with somebody that like models how you potentially mm -hmm. want to teach. Like you want to be able to observe something that is more closer to how you visualize yourself teaching. And I will say my school did give me the opportunity to go and check out um, another school over in Southeast in the Anacostia area. Um, so I have had the opportunity to go see one classroom in one other school, which is already, you know, about a hundred percent more mm -hmm. than what anyone else has had the opportunity to go see. Uh, which I'm really thankful for, but I feel like, you know, and that could have just been pure happenstance. It seemed like the classroom was being run almost identical, if not the same, mm -hmm. to the one that I was in. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I will also say, I don't know, I don't know if I ever told you about this, Malcolm, but when I went to that school, there was one classroom that had uh, 38 students in. Oof. 38 students it was that sounds so insane brutal. and of course you know the teacher explained that the that one of the teachers was um out for jury duty mm -hmm. um and so you know they had like a, a two-week sub planned but then the other students were doing the work in that class right they're sort of playing around because the sub was there mm -hmm. and so then rather than having them like go to that class and not do any work they just had put them all in one classroom but it was just i was like 38 I was like, we have, I'm 25 in my yeah, classroom, and that's already, like, exactly. insane. So, 38. It's way too much. Yeah, there was, no, there was no space to barely walk around, let alone breathe or learn in that space, right? So, um, that was just, you know, shout out to that teacher. She was doing an absolutely fantastic job, given the resources and space that she had. But, wow, it was absolutely crazy. But, um, little, little sidetracked, but point being that, like, as we are, you know, wrapping up, it is becoming even more important that we get these opportunities to really be able to explore mm -hmm. uh, what our teaching practice should look like and what other teaching practices do look like, right? And that's, you know, key, absolutely key to making programs like this and student teaching experiences like uh, uh, ones that are actually beneficial. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good word to use. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that they got it. They have to be beneficial. Um, and I would actually be interested in, in um, and maybe that's what we can do um, in some of the future episodes is bring some people on, have them talk about their student teaching program, maybe bring some people in from oh, other programs cool, yeah. and other universities and stuff like that, just to see how it goes for them. Um, so, because I, I do think like the model that we're in for urban teachers, like it is kind of like, to me, I like the model. I like how the coursework puts us in a position where we have to teach in the classrooms. Um, I like how they have it set up with the two-week teach, and you had to do two weeks of teaching, and then at, towards the end, you know, there's a big five-week teach, mm -hmm. where for five weeks, you're supposed to be running the classroom. Because other programs like, like TFA, mm -hmm. they're, they get, what, the summer? Yeah, the and summer, then they're in. And then it, yeah, so it's like, that's probably a whole different experience where you're just like, okay, what am I about to do? So I definitely think that we'll be more prepared just no matter what. For sure. Um, which will be a good thing to know. Um, 
something else that we have coming up, the Praxis. You know, I'm preparing for that. Uh, I have my Praxis on Tuesday. Uh, Malcolm, I I'm haven't registered yeah, yet. Yeah, you got to register. I've been trying to get this that, that done in the next two weeks or so. so. <laughs> but um, there, we have some big tests coming up uh, to try and get actually certified to become a teacher. Um, and, you know, one of the things that... Uh, you know, it has just sort of been on, on my mind, right, as we're getting ready to be a teacher. Um, and a conversation that we had the other day um, in our geometry class with Ms. Shereen, Dr. Shereen, uh, was culturally relevant pedagogy, right? Um, what does that mean? And how can we sort of implement that? Uh, I think. You know, that's not necessarily going to be something, I mean, we may be testing on it, but I think as teachers, yeah, that is something we constantly need to be testing ourselves um, and sort of remaining aware of is how can we make our classroom, like, culturally relevant? How mm -hmm. can we make sure that our students and the students we're teaching um, feel like what they're learning pertains to them, that it matters to them, that they can start to see what they're learning in the world around them? Right, that should be our goal mm -hmm. as teachers, as educators, um, to 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 bring about best practice. And we actually have an assignment due this coming week, where we actually have to design a culturally relevant uh, geometry lesson. Um, and so, I think you know that before we actually got this assignment, or maybe we knew the assignment was coming, but before we actually started really talking about it, um, you know, we sort of had. I would say it was a heated discussion, <laughs> but we definitely had like, it was like a yeah, it was interesting. It was just a, a differing viewpoints and understandings of what culturally relevant pedagogy and culturally relevant like lesson might mean or what mm -hmm. it might look like. And um, so right now in this moment, I sort of want to bring that topic up again so that we can sort of like flesh that out because as you can see, and and, and this was another black male educator, mm -hmm. right? This is not just like. You know anyone in the classroom but this is someone else who in the minority of teachers like shared that same position with us and seemed to understand it in a very different way from myself um you know i don't want to speak for malcolm malcolm here but it d d definitely viewed what culturally relevant pedagogy meant to him so yeah i mean i think it and like we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording but i think the thing with separating culturally being culturally relevant from education in itself like trying to split the two so like that's kind of like the sense that i got from when we we're having that discussion like people feel as if there's education and then there's culturally relevant education and that it can't be mixed so it's like some people feel like some days we're just going to focus on education like we're just going to focus on skills and standards and all those other things and then sometimes we're going to focus on being culturally relevant and can i feel like before like Continue any further, it might be beneficial for us to sort of define or figure out what what does that mean, culturally relevant, like. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's a hard thing. Like, it's, it's very ambiguous. Yeah, I'll say is. that it off is. the bat, right? And I think that whatever environment you're in, it's always going to be like different. Like, mm -hmm. what is going to be culturally relevant for, um, you know, a teacher up in, uh, you know, rural Wisconsin is <laughs> not going to be the same yeah. as. You know what's going to be culturally relevant in uh, you know an urban environment like mm -hmm. DC, right? But um, to me, 
I would say culturally relevant, sort of like I was saying before, is content that is going to be that your students feel like it matters to them, mm-hmm. that they can see themselves reflected in the material that they're learning, and that it is presented in a way that is most um, digestible to your students. Does that feel, is there anything yeah. you want to add or maybe change what um, I said? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that, that, hits, that hits it right on the head. I think it, it's anything that's relevant, I think, to the students' lives. So like you said, it, it's going to be different from a place like Idaho to Florida to being here in Washington, D.C. It's always going to be different. But it's making sure that no matter what you're teaching, you're making it connect to your students' actual lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would say. Sorry for interrupting you. You can tell yeah. what you were saying before, but... And that's what I was going to say, too, but that goes back to what I was saying, was like, I don't think it should ever be a separate thing. So I think maybe no. that's probably like my biggest gripe with culturally relevant pedagogy is that all pedagogy should just be culturally relevant. No matter what you're teaching, no matter where you're teaching, you have to make it connect to your students to where they can connect to it personally, emotionally. Um, and if you're not doing that, then yeah, they're going to be disconnected. Um, and so like even right now, I was having a conversation with the school psychologist um at my at my um clinical site because she was asking me about our curriculum we use wit and wisdom curriculum Uh um and so right now the module that we're on it's talking about like american indians and the settlers so talking about the early history of america and Mm -hmm. how they came through but when you read the text that we have to read and you read the um the information it is very like it's it's very it's not culturally relevant. It's very biased. It's all about how the American government were the heroes and they came and saved the day. Um, and it doesn't tell the full story. And so you have stuff like that curriculum that is trying to teach these kids this information and then it, you teach it to them. And that's where a lot of people grow up and they start being against the educational system because they're like, wait, you guys taught me wrong. Like, this is not the truth. Um, and it's like having those those discussions about, yeah, where do you draw the line in a school setting as a teacher, as an administrator of saying like, OK, I get that the curriculum says this. But if you know it's wrong, if you know it's not relevant, then are you still going to teach it? Or... No, and, and that's why it's even I think culturally relevant pedagogy. It's not just for the students. Mm-hmm. It's for the teachers. Right. Like how am I as an educator supposed to be invested in what I'm teaching if I know that what I'm teaching is, is bogus. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I can't come to the lesson feeling good or feeling uh, like I'm a legit legitimate in my ed- in my educational practice if I know that what I'm teaching is one either presented with falsehood mm-hmm. or that it doesn't somehow connect to, you know, what I believe is best practice. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for this assignment, um, like I said, we needed to design a lesson, a geometry lesson, mm-hmm. connected to a standard, our our grade standard. I'm fourth, uh, second. Malcolm second, and we had to create a lesson. Um, that was culturally relevant and connected to geometry, right? So, Malcolm, do you, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Um, yeah, so I could kind of talk. I was, okay, yeah, um, and so my uh, what we're doing since it's geometry in second grade, the students are learning how to, you know, really recognize shapes, know the properties of the shapes, 
um, and everything like that. And so my task is more of a, almost like an explore, like it's like an exploration task uh, and a brain teaser task of trying to find shapes within shapes. Um, and so students would be looking at a brain teaser um, and inside the brain teaser, there's 35 triangles. Um, when you first look at it, it looks like there's only 10. So that would kind of be how it would be set up, right? Where it's like, okay, how can I identify these two dimensional shapes knowing that a triangle has three sides, three corners? Um, but to make it culturally relevant, um, what I'm trying to do and what I think would work for my students because they spend so much time at school anyway, it's just to have them do a school scavenger hunt. So take some time to go around the school looking at looking at your school in a different way trying to locate the shapes that you see inside your school building outside your school building um and really getting them the goal for me um is getting them to really identify with the with their setting with their location and instead of viewing it as oh this is just school you know i'm hoping that after this task after this assignment spending some time walking around the school really being intentional about looking at their space they'll start to identify it with with it more. They'll start to be able to look around and be like, oh wow, like look at this. And I never noticed that this is here. And I never noticed that this art piece has these shapes and stuff like that. Um, and I think it's something so small and something that we don't really think about. But when you think about kids coming into the school place, and I hear them talk about all the time about how much they hate the place and it's dirty and all this other stuff. And they always like talking, you know, smack about their school, but getting it, getting them to view it as something kind of like significant, something special. Um, I think is a big step in making students just love school that much more. So. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll say what my lesson or what I sort of am thinking about for my lesson here in a moment, but um, the lesson that was presented to us mm -hmm. by a professor, uh, she had a few lessons, a couple lessons that she talked about, and I just want to like talk about both of them real quick. So the first one, um, when she was very first introducing culturally relevant uh, pedagogy or culturally relevant task mm -hmm. was um, she brought the example of students going around their neighborhood mm -hmm. and identifying how many liquor stores there were in that neighborhood and then going to a suburban neighborhood and going around the blocks and identifying how many liquor stores were in that neighborhood, right? And then sort of doing like a talk or discussion about access to alcohol and uh, what neighborhoods did have access to uh, or have copious access to alcohol mm -hmm. and which neighborhoods did not have very much access or like it was not a major part of the neighborhood environment. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was the first sort of, sort of first example she gave us. And then, you know, connected to this specific task that she gave us in terms of geometry, she... Um, well, it was the lesson with the uh, the deaf school, yeah, right, Gallaudet, yeah. University, right, and that's right, actually right over by uh, my apartment where we're currently at, and um, you know, it's a um, school, it's the only school in the U.S. I believe to actually be a um, yeah. school that caters towards yeah. deaf students, but. She showed a video that was, you know, it's a connected, engaged, sort of get students wrapped up and, and, and feeling, you know, learning about and getting invested in the content. There's a video about how the architects that built it sort of constructed it in a way 
where um, you know deaf people might be able to see each other easier, mm -hmm. right? They split the space intentionally for the purposes of the community that it was supposed to serve. Mm -hmm. And then she brought up um, the playscape, and she told students, you know, how might you imagine creating a playscape using shapes in a way that would support um, deaf students, right? And that was the task. Mm -hmm. Boom, done, fantastic. I thought it was so cool. What an interesting idea, right? But those, that was sort of what we were given. Yeah. Okay, just to give you a sort of premise. Now, the one that I'm sort of thinking about for myself, like I said, I work with fourth grade, and one of the things that I'm also really big into um, that you'll probably end up finding out more about mm. as these podcasts go on, but I'm, I'm real big into food. I, I eat vegan um, 99% of the time, you know, every once in a while <laughs> when, you know, friends invite me out this and the other, I might have a little cheat day, but yeah. I, 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 I personally, I focus on eating really healthy. Eating healthy food is really important to me. And I was like, man, how can I marry, you know, this sort of something that I find really important and is really important to, uh, you know, communities because, you know, access to food is so vital to our existence. Mm -hmm. um, and also math and geometry and sort of marry the two. And so what I started thinking about was while these students went out and identified liquor stores, I, the likeliness that I'll be able to get my students to necessarily get on a bus and go to another neighborhood. Yeah. That's just probably not happening. Yeah. But um, that's what we got Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I wanted to sort of introduce the idea of food deserts and lack of access to food or lack of access to nutritious food, right? A lot of my students, they be eating Cheetos first thing yeah. in the morning. Yeah, Takis. Yeah, <laughs> with a Sprite. Like, man, that's that's the first thing that their body, <laughs> right? They're, they're hate, you know, that part of themselves is receiving in the morning They're is this pro very it, processed, so. you know, very addictive, high sugar, high salt food. So how can I get my students to think about like why it is that they, like that's what they see all the time, mm -hmm. right? You know, all this, uh, you know, these little street vendors yeah. right outside our school, 7-Eleven, right? All these places are right by their place or right by their school. Um, and so, you know, getting them to, so, you know, bring up that idea of a food desert, lack of access to food, and then getting them to search on Google Maps different grocery stores. You know, here in D.C., mm -hmm. we have Safeway, uh, Whole Foods, um, I know that uh, Aldi's. Yeah. I know that there's a few, and I'm sure that there's a few others. Trader Joe's is probably in there, mm -hmm. right? Um, so getting students to sort of create a list of these different grocery stores and then identifying, like, where in the city these grocery stores are. Right, like I know, right mm -hmm. down the street from here, um, there is a Whole Foods. Yeah, there's a Trader Joe's, like probably about a mile away, um, and there's like a Safeway, like literally around the block. Right, but you head further south, southeast. Oh yeah, and nothing. Nothing, straight up, whole shelves just empty. Yeah, regularly, like right after uh, uh, paycheck days or right after food stamps get reup, bam, shelves are empty and they just stay empty for a real long time. Mm -hmm. Um, right, so how can you get our students to be thinking about that, identifying these different places and then find them on a map, creating points on the map where these places are found and then having a discussion about where these concentration of points are in the city, right? Where do you see 
um, a, a, a huge cluster of points and where you see a lack of you know maybe access to food and what does that mean for the people that live around there if they can't get access you know not only to just to, to food in general right because you can go to the corner store and get food but nutritious food like food like a grocery store right and I know in Austin this was also a really big issue right back where I came from um, you know you would go across uh, the major highway and on one side of the highway you have shelves that are empty you know same, same deal like five six seven days out of the week like pretty much every day of the week that shelves are empty you go across the street boom and you know floors are clean um, you know there's like art on the wall it's like a decorated space it feels comfortable plus the shelves are full mm -hmm. <laughs> right it's just like two completely different experiences yeah. um, and uh, it's like so important to our students' lives, and so that's what I was sort of imagining, mm -hmm. right? Trying to like incorporate or make a culturally relevant pedagogy, or like trying to bring culturally relevant content into the classroom. Yeah. Um. So it's just I I, I think. And I, the way that what yeah, um, go ahead. sorry to interrupt no, you, but no, fine. um the other thing like as you explained it, one thing I love about one thing I do love about culturally relevant pedagogy is that it ties students directly into the community. Um, and I think it takes learning from being just inside the school to being at home and like when they walk around mm -hmm. and everything like that, because a project like that, um, it, it's naturally, I think, going to make students think about it more, like in their everyday interactions, like as they're walking around, they're gonna start noticing like, oh yeah, like there's no grocery stores here, stuff like that. Or if they do travel, like you said, they, they do travel to somewhere like Austin or go to a more suburban area, they'll start to re identify like, wow, like there are like a lot more grocery stores on the corners here and mm -hmm. like the shelves really are stocked with more stuff. Um, and being able to pick up on that stuff and that gives them knowledge that they can carry with them, you know, through a lifetime. Um, so I, 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 do, I think that's very interesting. And I also like it too, because one thing I've been thinking about too, as we talked about like getting closer to like really having our own classroom and leading a lot of stuff I've been thinking about is a lot of my learning, I want to be project-based. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to have tasks um, that take students like almost like months and weeks to complete. And you can just keep filling in concepts with that because with an assignment like that, it can start off as a, as, as a math thing and being able to plot points on the map. But there's so many other things that you can get into that as far as like money exchanges and geography and location, um, even literacy skills of being able to maybe write sponsorship letters or write about what they've learned and doing research um, and everything like that. So I think that's very interesting. Um, and one thing I do like about what this task, this assignment that we've been given is like making us think about stuff like that. But like, mm -hmm. yeah, how can I take a standard mm -hmm. or take a unit in math and not just make it just like worksheets and work oh, and yeah. lessons and stuff and make it something engaging where the kids every day can come in and have something new to say and do and everything. But I think something you said earlier, um, right, off, off, off recording was you know, when we're talking about these projects as being culturally relevant, that's not the only way that you can practice culturally relevant pedagogy mm -hmm. in your classroom. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this big giant project. You know, that's super awesome. And I think that's like the best, it's, it's, it's one of the most um, engaging ways to create uh, a, an engaging lesson. Mm -hmm. But it's not the only way to sort of bring 
your students' lives and your students' identities into the lesson. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes, sometimes you do just got to do some uh, worksheet to sort of build comprehension. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sometimes yeah. you just got to, you know, sort of do the, the, the basics mm-hmm. to sort of get your students to the point where they can in, uh, engage in these sort of higher orders of thinking and changing the name from uh, Susie to DeMarcus or, you know, whatever yeah, like exactly. that. Sometimes that could be, you know, ch- 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 changing it from apples to chip bags or yeah, apples. Yeah. You know, like, anything like that, like, you know, th- those are going to be some ways where you can, like, it's these little tweaks. Yeah, just little but, tweaks to make them think about it. Like. But the students are going to, you know, you know, maybe you can actually, like, go to the store at that 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. look at the price of Takis, and actually you know, bring that price into the classroom, into the worksheet. Like, it can be little things like that that can make it, like, that Mm -hmm. much more powerful of a day-to-day. Yeah, Um, I agree. So, Um, And I think, too, there's a, um, with culturally relevant pedagogy, something that you also talked about off-record is language, right? Language Mm -hmm. in the classroom. Um, And so there's there's culturally relevant, and there's also another one called reality pedagogy, um, where it talks about the way you communicate with your students. And I think that's also another way like you said, it doesn't always have to be like this big thing. It could literally be the way that you just carry yourselves with oh, your yeah. children and the way you understand that where they grow up and how they communicate. So like, for example, one morning in the classroom, you know, my, my students are coming in and one of my students came in and he said, what's up, Mr. Malcolm? Like that was his way of saying good morning. He's like, what's up, Mr. Malcolm? And I said, hey, what's up? How are you? He's like, I'm good. Cool. Go put your stuff away. Let's get ready for class. And there was a, there was a, an, another older teacher in the classroom and when he said what's up mr malcolm she was like what's up mr malcolm she's like you don't speak to an adult like that she was like go tell him good morning um and so he had to come back and she made him come back and say good morning mr malcolm um but you know it made me think of something like that where like you've immediately shut him down mm-hmm. as soon as he walks in you immediately killed his energy it's his, just a total his, power play. yeah his, his vibe that he came in, he was smiling, he just said, what's up, Mr. Malcolm? It wasn't a disrespectful thing, it wasn't anything, that's just his way of communicating, that's what he says. Um, and I think sometimes we think like little stuff like that, yeah, we some teachers feel the need to address it and, and you know, say, you know, like you said, it's a power play, like, oh, that's disrespectful, that's not how you speak to an adult, but it's like, no, I speak to adults like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I think something like that is like, it's little things like that, just the way you interact. It's from if your kid comes up to you and tries to give you a pound or a handshake, mm-hmm. if you just give them the pound, just give them the handshake, that's just their way of showing respect to you, letting them know that they're comfortable with you. And that could be just enough, like you said, to be culturally relevant to where, yeah, if it's a day where we just need to focus on some content, some skills, that's another way of just getting them to ease up and be comfortable and say, all right, let's... let's man, yeah, that's again. a whole... A culture uh, relevant presence. Maybe, maybe that's... Yeah, right. well, having culture, that could be a whole other <laughs> podcast all on its own, right? Like, just the way that you conduct and interact with your students, making sure that that is, like, culturally relevant. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, that's... Whew, that's a whole... <laughs> that's a whole... It is. Another 45-minute discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just wanted to thank you so much for... Joining us today, hopefully we're able to sort of engage and maybe awaken some ways that you might be able to engage the classroom on a more on a uh, on a deeper, fundamentally deeper level. Some ways that you can sort of think about. Uh, maybe you might have a teacher's assistant, or maybe you are a teacher's assistant. Maybe some uh, we hopefully gave you some ways that you could think about 
your role or the role of your TA in your classroom differently. Um, and just be, just be just being aware of how you know you're making your uh, mentee mm -hmm. uh, engage with the space, right? Yeah. I think you know our, our goal was to sort of you know hopefully see it in a different light, right? Yeah, exactly. um, but uh, you know episode four should be coming out soon. Um, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us today, Malcolm, you have any closing thoughts? No, I just thank you for listening. Um, definitely, like with the student teachers, and I'm actually interested if you um, if you are student teaching right now, um, or if you've previously hosted a student teacher, I would be interested in um, you guys reaching out to us, maybe sharing some experiences. It could be anonymous, or you can hit us up personally. Um, and I think that would be interesting. I think we will we should have further conversations on that. Um, because I do think like the model of student teaching is so important. The experience is so important that we should continue to have this discussion on how we can make it even better to keep um, producing effective educators. So yeah. those would be my last thoughts. Like I said, thanks again for tuning in. Hope you guys um, enjoyed it. And any feedback you guys have besides like the student teaching, just make sure yeah, you reach out Yeah, please send it our way. Anything and everything, any topics you want to see. If you think maybe you might know someone that, should, that would be interested in coming on, mm -hmm. uh, um, if you wouldn't be interested in coming on, um, those are all inquiries that we'd love to hear. So please send, please send any thoughts or ideas our way. Excellent.